everyone, and welcome to another episode of the No Low Ballers podcast. I'm your host, Logan Medish of High Caliber History. I'm joined around the table by a great group of guys. We have Jacob from Go Wild, Brad from Go Wild, and love him or hate him, everybody knows him, Tim Kennedy. Tim, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Logan. This is going to be a blast. <laughs> <laughs> it is going to be a blast, and we do appreciate you making some time in your schedule to join us. Uh, you're a man of many talents, a man of many hats, Green Beret, MMA, founder of Save Our Allies. I mean, there's, it goes on and on, right? That's And we can see why, because you're sitting here like, I can feel you vibrating from across the room. Yeah, you know? this will like, be the longest time that I'll be in a seated position during the whole entire week of SHOT Show, <laughs> which is uh, during this podcast. Yeah. So uh, And I'll barely be able to hold still. We, so. we had to put walls up to contain you. And also to keep the people, you know, you, you went to take a, a bathroom break, and it's like people flock. Uh, you're definitely a guy that stays busy. I ran into you last year, and it was like a brief 30 seconds in passing. Yeah, you know, was, so. uh, which is not long enough. Uh, the only thing I do for 30 seconds is uh, be able to make babies. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then leave my wife sad and wanting more. Oh, Lo and behold, so be it. Oh, man. Uh, one thing we wanted to talk to you about was, you know, you and I have done a couple of podcasts on EDC, but, uh, you know, recently with some of the stuff you've done with Save Our Allies, and then we'll kind of move in from there. But I'd love to just kind of kick off with you, you know, talking to our audience a little bit about the, the group you founded there and, and what your goals were with that. Yeah. the uh, I mean, it's sad, frankly, that – Save Our Allies, the, the inception, like the genesis of it was Afghanistan. Um, I was on the phone with my friend Nick Palmaciano, or with uh, Chad Robichaud, and my friend Nick Palmaciano was on the phone with Sarah Verardo, and uh, both of them were asking us to fly to Afghanistan to go rescue people. Um, I have a government contracting company and like a, um, a contracting company that kind of works within the security world. And I had gotten a lot of offers to, to do this type of work, but none of them had the right purpose or mission or for the right reason. And then I have a friend on the phone that's saying, a, a man that I was deployed with is going to be tortured and his family is going to be raped and he's going to be murdered by the Taliban if we don't get him out. And uh, Chad, Chad's a great friend and a believer. And I was like, man, I hear you. Um, I'll be on a plane tomorrow. And Nick is on the phone with Sarah Verardo, whose husband was an interpreter in Afghanistan, and um, the, effectively the same thing. And Nick turns to me. He's like, you won't believe um, what she just asked. I'm like, you won't believe what I just said. We did like that Spider-Man thing. Like, yeah, yeah you won't believe. You won't yeah. believe. It's like us telling you where the bathroom was. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, I, mean, that, that, I mean, that was the very beginning of it. And what, what happens, obviously, we, we saw a, a catastrophic failure of government policy at an executive level where, uh, and, a, and a strategic level where we start pulling out of Afghanistan in a not strategic way, and the Taliban take every inch of ground that we do not currently control, all the way back to this tiny little air base in, in uh, Kabul called Hkaya. And uh, that then turned into the, the worst evacuation effort that you could imagine. Uh, trying to get Americans out, trying to get our allies out, and that Hamid Karzai airport in, uh, in Kandahar was just the worst things I've ever seen. Um, and it, it was after 18 years in special operations that the guys that we had on the ground, you know, from a re really talented special operations guys from, that had spent their entire adult lives during GWAT. So it was a rapidly changing environment and kind of like the, 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 the act, the the tactics of how do I go out into a city that's currently being controlled by the Taliban, find somebody, and then get them across into friendly lines was really, really, really hard. Yeah, and, yeah I uh, mean, how do you 
because it's hard. You had like two people that kind of started this that you were you were going to help. Did you have any idea that it would turn into twelve thousand? Isn't that the number? Is that I've kind of heard a couple different numbers from. Yeah, I mean the the, the numbers go from. And th- there were a lot of organizations, incredible organizations that were all collaborating in the evacuation. And I, I don't want to say I moved one person because uh, I, w- I didn't move one person without the help of 10 other groups and 10 other right. extraordinary Americans and veterans that stepped up, uh, that were funding airplanes, that were buying gas, that were doing the communication you know, out of Washington, D.C., that were getting permissions and authorizations and authorities. Like there, there was not – a lot of people are like, man, you – I rescued this many people. Like, did I even rescue anybody? I, I was a dude on the ground trying to help people get out, and there were a bunch of people that were there to help. And those people that we know moved from the non-government part were, were nearly 20,000. 11% of everybody that left that country left that country not via the government, and that was this gigantic veteran and entrepreneurial initiative to help and rescue these people. And Chad's book about this whole thing and this whole experience. Chad's book was fantastic. I I read it uh, and it just, it is mind blowing what went on there. And, and well, you touched on all the failures that took place in order to lead to that, you know, and, and yeah, that book is just so eye opening. I encourage everybody to read that book. Yeah. And man, frankly, here in 2024, I'm uh, in four years, I've been to Ukraine a couple of times. I uh, spent six months on the Mexico border. Uh, obvious, obviously, Afghanistan uh, was in Israel in October. Uh, you know, th- th- these are like generational. Any single one of those things would be like a general generational <laughs> yeah. catastrophe. Right. Yeah. And right. Like in my life, in four years, I have been to four different conflict zones that are epic humanitarian crisis. You know, and that that falls on our government. This yep. is this is a policy problem that ultimately there's cracks and there's voids that Americans are going to be left in. You know, in Israel, like, wh- why are you going to Israel? Like, um, one, that was a terrorist organization that was raping and murdering a bunch of women and children outside of, uh, in, in a peaceful, sovereign yeah. nation. Like, yeah. they, they should be pushed into the sea, not, not from the river to the sea, but all the terrorists that had anything to do with that. That was just absolute evil. Um, but then the Americans were stuck there, and we had Americans, you know, anywhere from thirty to 60,000 Americans are tourists into Israel right. in any given week. Mm-hmm. Like 50,000 Americans stuck in Israel as Hamas, a terrorist organization, is running around beheading children and raping people. So, like, had to get them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that there was, a, you know, the Department of State in Israel, that, you know, this was, did everything that they could to, to help. Mm-hmm. But any government agency is always going to be restricted by their bureaucracy. And, you know, they, they can't go and grab somebody that's immediately adjacent to Gaza. You know, but I can. No. Um, you know, you, you, you can't. You, the 82nd, the Marines in Afghanistan, they weren't allowed to go outside the wire into the city to find people to bring them back onto the air base. But I can. You know, at the beginning of the invasion of, in Ukraine, how do we get you humanitarian aid to the very front lines? Um, like, we can't. When the oligarchs, the kind of corrupt Ukrainian system... Uh, you know, they're taking 60, 70, 80% of the humanitarian aid and then selling it. Uh, how, how do we know that the humanitarian aid is getting to the people and to the Americans that are on the, the, the very front lines? Uh, like, the Americans can't do that. And they're hoping that our allies are going to do that. But I can. Yeah. You right. know, so it's uh, for evil to conquer, it takes good men doing nothing, you know, and ultimately it just takes one good person to stand up and say, like Isaiah 6 8, here I am, send me. Right. And uh, fortunately, I'm just surrounded by the most extraordinary, selfless people. And 
They do good. Well, and you mentioned 50,000 people. You know, I mean, we're, we're here at SHOT Show, and you think about the numbers. That's you, – you look around the, the show floor, and that would be as if every 8 out of 10 people that are on this floor stuck. Yeah. I mean, that's a massive number. 50,000 yeah. people. That's 8 out of 10. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. Mind-blowing. A, a lot of the media reports, you know, you saw mentions of the bombings. But I, I listened to, you know, you were on Rogan and talked a little bit about that. It sounds like, like, how much was undocumented death, though? Like, it seems like there's no real numbers of what was actually happening beyond just the bombing that, you know, got so much media coverage. Like, yeah. what you guys were seeing was not mentioned, you know. Yeah. And it, you've mentioned it, but, mass, you know, the media is not really talking yeah. about that. Well, I, I mentioned it and I documented it. That Those are uh, two important things. Yeah. Where, mm-hmm. uh, everywhere I've ever been in any conflict, I, I keep journals and I keep uh, video recordings, you know, I, carry cameras with me uh, for a variety of reasons uh oftentimes people exaggerate uh what happened and it's it's weird especially when you're in in a conflict area like that why you'd ever want to exaggerate mm-hmm. uh I, it's kind of sad yeah. but that's one thing but i do it for for legal reasons when people come at me because I, I know i'm trying to do the right thing i may not do it in the most legal or perfect way but the heart is always trying to make a positive difference and, um, you know, the things that we saw from, you know, people being executed in the street to being executed on our hood to, you know, the w- women being beaten in the streets. Um, you know, if, if the Taliban beat us to somebody that we're trying to evacuate, um, you know, all we find is a t- tortured and raped body. Um, you know, that's not doc- that's not officially documented right. as, as a casualty of that evacuation. Uh, you know, it was, it was some of the worst stuff I've ever seen. So... <laughs> so Tim, one of the Tim's things fans. that I, I, I want to talk about, because you mentioned, you know, you know, the military can't do this, but I can. And, you know, so and I know Brad has talked with you on a previous episode on a different show about your EDC loadout, you know, here in the States. Can we talk about, you know, what, what kind of equipment are you carrying when you're over in Ukraine or Israel or down on the border? You know, what's what's yeah. what's a Tim Kennedy loadout in in a situation like this you, you just listed three very different environments okay and yeah. um you know the met tc mission enemy time train you're, you're going to build the equipment that you need that's going to be relative to the job that you're doing and the operational environment that you're going to be doing it in so i want to make sure you know if i'm going out to dinner with my wife um and we're going to a nice safe stable area of town i'm going to be perfectly fine you know, like with maybe just a tiny little glock in the appendix um and a flashlight in the pocket uh like wait no extra magazine Oh, man, I'm going to a place that has, like, a dude in a tuxedo at the front door <laughs> that goes and valets my car um, compared to, like, hey, we're going to go to the southeast side of the town that's a little gentrified but not totally safe yet. And, um, you know, like, I'm going to park a little bit differently. I'm going to mm-hmm. carry a slightly different loadout. So in that, from permissive to semi-permissive to non-permissive to truly a conflict area, uh, I, I build the things that I'm going to have with me that, that makes sense for me to do the thing that I'm supposed to be doing, which is be able to protect and provide stability and security for my family. Sure. Um, you know, me going to Ukraine, um, if I had a gun on me in Ukraine, I would have died 75 times by Ukrainians. Hmm. Wait, really? What? You didn't have a gun? Like, do you know the mo- most dangerous people in the initial conflict were the checkpoints between entering from Poland all the way into the capital city, all the way to the Dnipro River, all the way to the front lines. Do you know how many checkpoints I went through? Probably lost count, right? 200? Do you know what those people are like? So I'm like, do they know that I'm American? No? You don't don't think that every single one of the foreign 
uh, spies that are working for the Russians have perfect English, you know, <laughs> that they're right. there as a volunteer for an NGO. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they open my bags and they find a sat phone and they're, they have me in like prone and in flex cuffs as they're going through my bags and they're, they're confirming via official sources what and who I am. Man, they, they find a gun in there. They might just execute me right there on the street, you know, to, um, you know, the Mexico border where we're in a fight with a non-government organization, non-state actors, cartels and syndicated criminals that are dealing in human suffering. You know, human trafficking, enslavement, fentanyl, drugs. Like, these are the baddest dudes on the planet with limitless resources and funding. Mm-hmm. Um, these are completely different conflict areas. And uh, I'm not, like, trying to be being vague and ambiguous, but truly, I'm going to have a bunch of different things right. depending sure. on what I'm doing. I drive my kids to school in my truck. Like, that thing is built to be able to find and destroy anything that gets near me and my family. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I got a big old medical bag. I got a I got a truck gun that's like built for significant warfare that is loaded <laughs> with very specific ammo. Like, cool, you're hiding behind my car or your car? Don't care. We're going through your yeah, car. Yeah, we're going through <laughs> everything else. Oh, your A post is gonna stop this? Don't think so. And uh hold my beer and check this that's shit. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and and I I've turned my home into, you know, it's 11 Bravo. You're in infantry school. They make you dig your, your, your first little fighting position. And then after you dig your fighting position, you're sitting there and you link up with the guy to your right and your guy to your left and you figure out your interlocking sectors of fire. Then you dig it a little bit deeper and you burn a little berm up here. You figure out a place to put your magazines and then uh, you go to sleep. Then you wake up the next day, confirm our interlocking sectors of fire. Then I yet again improve my fighting position. I go out and I clear out all of my maximum effective range of my rifle. Then I come back, I've improved my fighting position. And every single day, I just continue to improve my fighting position until ultimately, like, I have a pretty built-out position that is couldn't be conquered. Like, if you try to step over, like, you're going to step over my dead body in a pile of brass <laughs> and all of your dead friends to try to get through the tripwires that I put out there, you know, the, 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 the traps in my home, I've treated the same way. You know, like uh, the plants, the beautiful rose bushes and, and all the, 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 the pretty flowers that have spikes on them in front of my kids' windows, you know, and the motion sensor lights and the cameras, you know, because my job is to protect, protect my family. It's mm-hmm. nobody else's job. And, uh, and I kind of take that approach everywhere that I go to. Mm-hmm. I just want the best equipment that I could possibly have for the place that I'm going to be able to do the mission that I've been asked to do. Riffing off your question, Logan, um, and going back to Afghanistan, Tim, I mean, it sounds like all this starts with two phone calls for you. And then you're going, I kind of, if I summarized how you said you approached this, there's a little bit of ask for uh, forgiveness rather than permission at that point. Um, but how, how do you guys get equipped for something like that? I mean, it seems very different than your military background. Like, where, where you know, to, to Logan's exact question, like, how do you guys get equipped with this giant group to go out and battle, you know, in the actual streets to try to save American lives? Yeah. Well, Unfortunately, fortunately for me, unfortunately for Afghans, um, there was plenty of equipment that was left mm. in oh, the okay. evacuation. Uh, you know, like we left Humvees and helicopters, but and even showing up vision. and like like locating all that and like that's that sounds like days of work to even prepare. I mean, but but it sounds like you kind of just dove in. And th- this is the the, the, the trade craft of 
you know, being in special operations your whole entire life, um, you know, the men that I was there with are, are so talented at this type of work. Um, you know, I literally landed, the door opens, and the guy that welcomes me, you know, he's a, 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 a spook, and he's like, man, didn't think this day would get no weirder, but Tim Kennedy standing in front of me, you know, like, <laughs> welcome to Afghanistan, man. And uh, walk in, go get in the car, and, uh, you know, hey, what do you need? I need, uh, got my body armor, got my night vision, got my thermal imager. Um, I need a gun. Boom, here's a gun. Where are we going? All right, hey, go, let's, let's go recon our first right line. Literally, I've been on the ground for about nine seconds. I got made fun of the dude by the door. I go get in a car, and we start reconning rat lines, and I'm handed a gun. So, like, welcome to the work of doing God's business. You know, this, yeah, is, uh, right. this is what it looks like. So good friends is really what it comes down. Good, talented friends. Yeah. You yeah. know, good, good, talented friends that are, that have, that, man, they broke, they broke the mold. God broke the mold when they, when he made some of those men. You know, some of the guys that I was cruising around with this week are, uh, man, I just, I sit back in awe at the things that they can do. I sit back in amazement at the heart of service that these men and women have. I sit there just just dumbfounded as to to how how big their heart is and how much they care about protecting this amazing country and being able to protect Americans and uh you know to do the Lord's work. And it's so just humbling. How do normal citizens support organizations like this? Like the work that you're going to go do in Afghanistan or in Mexico, like what do we do to contribute to that? Yeah, I mean one is fighting the narrative. You know, I think we're being lied to just on the Mexican front. You know, like we're, yeah. we're currently being invaded yeah. by military age men. You know, they're not refugees. They're not asylum seekers. Um, you know, when we we're loading trains out of Ukraine, you know, you, you'd have zero military age men and only women and children. Um, when we're in Israel for one guy that goes to the airport, he would have a wife maybe one or two sisters, and about five or six kids. They're all boarding a flight to fly out of there. Do you know what that dude's doing? That dude's staying, right? Mm. He's saying, like, get he's, he's Israeli. Get, yeah. get my family out of here so I can go and do the work of protecting this country that's being invaded. Right. And uh, that's what refugees look like. You know, you look at Afghanistan. I get one of these interpreters. Obviously, he's married. May they make a lot of babies. So, like, I get if I'm taking out one interpreter or one commando, I'm – actually taking out 10 people, his wife and eight kids. Mm -hmm. That's what a refugee family looks like. Mm -hmm. You go down to our southern border, you go down to Eagle Pass in Texas, you see a 1,000 men and no women. And they're all military-age men. And they're not poor people from Mexico. Right. These are bad actors. And, uh, I mean, just this week we, we used some facial recognition software to identify a convicted terrorist that was bragging that he had made it into America to a news station. He's like, you don't know my name, but you will. And they're like, that's odd and a very <laughs> weird um, English. Like, what a strange thing to say. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and it's imperfect facial recognition, but we're 80% positive that we figured out who this dude is, and he is a convicted terrorist that spent time in Gitmo, and now he's in America in the interior. That happened two days ago. Um, how can you help, one, fight the narrative, this is all private funded. We don't want money from, we don't want anybody to have levers on us because we are there to do one thing, which is the right thing. And I'm not saying I'm perfect because I'm, I'm sure as heck not, but I have amazing people with amazing hearts that are kind of dictating what these, mission, what these missions are going to look like. And uh, when I'm given purpose, direction, motivation, and then we've got to figure out how to get in there, that's me buying a flight. 
that's uh you know i we had three four dudes sleeping on the four floor of um this little warehouse in, a, in ukraine in the beginning of that invasion um we uh in israel you know it's it's, it's it was one hotel that we did have to strate- like it was it was a nice hotel because we had to be co-located where all the headquarters were um so like if you looked at my bill you're like oh why'd you stay at that nice one but it's because next door to like the commanding units of the military and it strategically made sense but guess what all six of us stayed in one room, you know, like we were <laughs> yeah. two dudes to a bed. We can it's relate what to we're that. Doing in, yeah. in Vegas. <laughs> that, yeah, that's how <laughs> no, we're that's because we're, we're a poor startup, so yeah. <laughs> it's a little different. Same seas. Like, we're, we're well, a, yeah, I guess yeah. it actually is very similar. <laughs> yeah, you're, we are a yeah. poor startup, right? We're a nonprofit that 100% of the money goes back to the programs, right? So, like, if you're like, how, how much money did like how far did my dollar go in rescuing an American out of Israel? It went 100% to rescuing an American out of Israel. Right. There's not a single person that takes a cent. It's and, not going uh, to eighty percent of it going to ad campaigns. Yeah, there's not a paid employee. Dude, yeah. There's not a single person. <laughs> um, and you know, here, it, like I try not to, because I've been in this world a really long time, and I never want to take advantage of these people. But there, there's also some amazing people in here that have donated mm-hmm. uh, product. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the equipment that I was wearing, or the thing that I smuggled in, the night vision that I used, or the sat phone that I used, or the you know the Garmin that I used, or the gun that I used. Like th- those, um, you know, like. Money's amazing, you know, and, and figuring out and knowing that you got the best equipment on the planet that maybe even some other people don't know about because that's the best kind of equipment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> give that to me, and we'll, we'll, I'll put it to good use, you know. Right. Yeah. Wow. Man. Yeah. Man, yeah, <laughs> it, my, it leaves us a little speechless. I know I mean, my head's you know? spinning. Uh, I get so caught up in uh, listening to you. Sometimes I kind of forget to like, oh, you're also hosting, and and I'm just thinking <laughs> through even even some of the stuff you talked about in the beginning um, of what you guys dealt with and outside of the wire, you know, of of what you've been going through. Um, what else have you been into? Like, I'm kind of curious, just because uh, you, you've got. Oh, we were trying to tell Logan a little bit of some of your entrepreneurial endeavors. I mean, it's taking a step back from all the things that give you stress. What are you working on and get you excited right now? Uh, abolishing the Department of Education. We uh, two years ago, I opened a school in Texas called Apogee Cedar Park, and um, the following year, I opened a, an online mentorship program called Apogee Strong, and uh, we, you know, taking young men, very dissimilar to you guys where you know they didn't grow up knowing how to hunt they didn't know how to change the oil in a car they didn't know how to change like rotate their tires change the brakes you know they didn't know how to tie a double windsor like they they knew nothing about being a man they didn't know how to shake a hand and um i'm not sure what happened over the past 20 years but we didn't what we didn't do is we didn't raise a generation that um had the values and integrity that i think are so paramount to to being an american and uh, so Apogee Strong was launched, and uh, that mentorship program just exploded. And we had thousands of people enrolling, and then we had dads enrolling, and then we had moms enrolling. And uh, this year, we'll open 50 schools. In 2024. You guys have grown it to 50 schools? In, in two years. I talked That's to crazy. you two years ago. I don't know if you remember. I, yeah, I was I talking. Yeah, I emailed you. I told you I was going to destroy know, the department. I emailed you. You I was not being serious? Well, no, you, you put me in touch with uh, the woman that helped you kind of co-found this. What was her name? Um, um, we, we have Lauren Michelle that run my school. And then uh, uh, Matt Boudreau is my partner at Apogee Strong. Okay. I talked to one of your teammates, I mean, it was two years ago, and it was one school. Yeah. It was like. Really cool. Yeah, we're, twenty-four. We're about we'll open twenty-four. Amazing. We'll open fifty-one. We'll have fifty-one schools opened this year, this school year. Wow. That's so, insane. like, if you go to Apogee Strong, you can go click on that locator. We have like, uh, we we actually have one open here in Las Vegas in Henderson. I think they have a waiting list of a thousand kids. Wow. A thousand kids are like, do you want? 
I don't want my I don't want my kids going back to school next year because of the, the trash that they're being fed. You know, is is very aptly put. If you send your children to Caesar, don't be surprised when you receive a, a, a Roman. And we've been sending our kids back to be indoctrinated and radicalized, and um, they haven't learned a dang, a dang thing. And we, we, it's it is the nuclear family's responsibility to build and raise the next generation. And we, we've uh, we've been too busy. Well, yeah, we've, we're Doing about to things. reap the consequences of that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious to know what is the next gun on your wish list? Like what? Where you're like, oh, I can't wait for this one to come through. Like what? What's the next thing you're wanting? I know it's tough. You say one? I, well, I <laughs> know. I'm shot show when you say one? I know, and I'm the same way. Like, I, I have an FFL. That's, you know, yeah. it's coming all the time. And, it, you know, but so, like, it's hard to it's hard to narrow it down. I understand that. Wow. So, so, okay, you know, give, give me your top five even, or you know, like, just what's what's got you giddy right now? I've been asking for a lever action 5.56 five, and 308 for a minute, and uh, I'm getting a lever action 5.56 five, five, uh, and 308. So, um I like lever action. It's kind of old school. I'm in Texas. Sure. Uh, so I'm, I'm pumped. Mad Pig Cums, Customs. Steve, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you get a lever action, give it to him, you get it back. Steve like, does great work. Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. So I just got this 4570 lever action um, that I kind of trick, tricked out, put a you know laser on it, and it's all built to do some pig killing for nighttime. And then I got a 4570 revolver from, Mag, from Magnum uh, Research. Oh, yeah, BFR, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, can we say that? Go for it. Yeah, big fucking revolver. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a forty-five seventy revolver government, and then I have a forty-five seventy lever action, and I'm going to go pig hunting with this thing off horseback. It's going to be the most gangster Hell thing. Yeah. I just can't wait for uh, the end of springtime. and So I'm, I'm pumped about that lever action. Nice. And uh, it is so cool on, on like the innovation side from – I just got back from New Hampshire at SIG, and SIG – is obviously won a bunch of government contracts. Yep. And, uh, you know, they're going to be fielding the individual s- rifle to the soldier. They're going to be doing the machine gun to the so- to the combat units. And um, it was like a, a pretty significant emotional moment when I was on the manufacturing floor, walking through SIG, and coming off the line is the gun that is about to be shipped. If they're like literally packaging them, mm-hmm. and they're about to send them to our soldiers. Mm-hmm. I say, you know, they say that we're not at war right now. Uh, we're 100 percent at war, yeah. right? We're we're at war in Eastern Europe. We're in war in the Middle East. You know, yet yesterday, both in Syria and in Iraq, we had drones flown into hurting our soldiers. We got a bunch of soldiers with overpressure wounds and TBI just from this week. Uh, like we're at war with Iran. We're at war with China, and we're at war with Russia. And um, I'm standing there touching these guns that are about to go to our soldiers. And uh, then I got to take them to the range and shoot them. And, uh, you know, I got weird. I'm, like, breaking down the guns. You know, I'm, like, <laughs> dumping, dumping a full magazine in there. And then I'm trying to see if I can break the suppressor. Um, and uh, all the things you'd expect from, like, a hairy-handed idiot <laughs> when you hand him a new gun. <laughs> and, man, that gun was so cool. Going from the, the thing that's replacing the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal, yeah. it weighs one quarter of what the 50 cal used to wow. weigh. So instead of having three guys as the machine gun team, the guy that would be manning the tripod, the ammo bearer, and then the machine gunner, uh, you now have one guy with a gun that weighs a quarter of what that whole entire setup used to weigh. Which it is also intense. shoots faster, shoots further with a more capable round. It's like mind blown, right? Then you go down to the thing that's replacing the M249 saw. 
like the, the individual machine gun. This gun shoots faster with a more accurate bullet that flies further, that takes more energy all the way to the end of its maximum effective range. Right. Then you go to the individual's new machine gun, and it's like, my mind was blown, and I was like, this is so freaking cool. Yeah, I'm still in the military. I'm a proud serve. I'm proud to serve my country, and to be standing there as a you know, like a 20 going on 20 years special forces guy and holding the weapon that's about to be put in soldiers' hands, I'm excited. I cannot wait for that. Nice. I'm getting. I'm getting. On, I'm getting them. <laughs> <laughs> Glad I got an FFL too. Right. <laughs> yeah. My man. You know, and and you mentioned the M2. I mean, it's it's that's such a ubiquitous gun and a design. I mean, it's a John Browning design, you know, it's more than a hundred years old. That gun has seen service for so long. And to think that now we're, we're finally starting to phase that out. Like that's a testament every con- to every conflict in a hundred years. Yes. And I, I mean, you want to talk about a, a legacy, you know, with that gun and, and to be able to cut the weight down by a quarter. Cause the M2, I mean, the mod deuce, that's a thick chick. Yep. I mean, she, she's a big girl, yeah. you know, and that's yep. going to mean a lot to be able to cut 75% of the weight off of that. I mean, that's, yeah, it's impressive stuff. Yeah. So, well, Tim, we really appreciate you spending some time out of your busy schedule. We will we will let you get up and vibrate out of the room. And <laughs> I, I think you did pretty good. Yeah. Thirty you minutes. Did, I've been you sitting did, right here. Yeah. You did damn good. Yeah. So what? thank you thank you fight? so much. <laughs> okay. No, we're good. Okay. Uh, Tim Kennedy, thank you so much for joining us on the No Low Ballers podcast. Yeah. Really appreciate it, man. Pleasure. Let's get it. God bless America. Protect the Second Amendment. All right, well, that's it for another episode of the No Low Ballers podcast. Appreciate each and every one of you who has tuned in, either on the audio version or the video version. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite platform. Leave us some likes and comments and reviews. We do read and respond to it all. We appreciate each and every one of you being here uh, and consuming this show because uh, hopefully you're having as much fun watching it as we have making it because without you, There is no us, and we love being us. We have a great time on this show. So uh, we will see you right here on the next episode of the No Low Ballers podcast. (laughs) 